A quick note that this episode contains some adult language. It was May 2014, and a pretty impressive crowd had gathered inside a WeWork office in New York's financial district. Some of the most powerful men in New York's real estate scene, men who had amassed buildings and fortunes over decades, they were all there to celebrate the expansion of WeWork's headquarters and to invite a new member to their special club, WeWork's CEO, Adam Newman. Stephen Roth gets up to speak. He's the CEO of Vornado Realty Trust, and the largest commercial landlord in New York City. Roth is compact, with gray hair around a balding dome. He'd recently invested in WeWork, and he'd entrusted it with one of his company's most ambitious and high-profile projects. Roth surveyed the room with his piercing blue eyes, and then he smiled. In his thick Bronx accent, he roasted the young CEO. Now, Adam is a nice guy, but every time I see him, he always says, you asshole, you could have invested at a $200 million valuation. When Roth was done with his speech, he didn't raise his glass for a toast. Instead, he walked over to a giant gong five feet in diameter. Emblazoned across the hammered bronze was WeWork's familiar black-lettered logo. Roth lifted a mallet and swung it. It had become a standard part of WeWork celebrations, and Roth wasn't the only real estate mogul there to bang a gong for WeWork. There was Bill Rudin. His family owned more than 13 million square feet of New York City property. And here's Owen D. Thomas. He controls some 45 million square feet across the country. With every gong hit, they were welcoming this boy wonder into their fold and ringing in a new era for WeWork. Adam would say confidently, a new era for humanity. But for WeWorkers below him, this brave new world Adam was selling was starting to feel a lot like the old one. Jeffrey Epstein is dead. Before as many victims, the search for justice is still alive because Epstein had help, lots of help. And on the newest season of Broken, host and investigator Tara Palmieri follows Epstein survivors as they track down those who enabled and witnessed his crimes to hold them accountable. Broken, Seeking Justice is a podcast that documents the journey of these women to find out what justice looks like in their lives, including their battle against the government to change how it treats victims of child sex abuse. They're naming names, they're seeking justice, and sometimes they even find it. Listen to Broken, Seeking Justice wherever you get podcasts. Experience the new season of Business Wars one week early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. This season, we dive into the business of wine with the Gallows, whose winery, after trials, lies, and murder, is now the largest in the state of California. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen to Business Wars one week early and ad-free. Start your free trial today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, the host of Business Wars, and this is We Crashed. This is episode three of our six-part series. Thank God it's Monday. With every big investment, Adam Newman's confidence, or some would say his ego, got bigger. And even as more big-name investors came on board, Adam's grip on the company didn't loosen. In fact, it got tighter. 
The ownership structure was set up such that there were two classes of stock. NYU Business School professor Scott Galloway. That's not unusual over the last 10 years for companies run by entrepreneurs to negotiate based on how hot the company is a different class of shares so they maintain control. But this took it again to a new level. Adam negotiated so that his shares in the company got 10 votes for every one vote by any other shareholder. Essentially, Adam controlled the company. Adam also continued to pump up the value of WeWork, expanding the vision of the sales pitch. They tried to position themselves as a technology company and used a lot of terms that are more unique or more common across the technology industry. WeWork didn't have much actual technology, but in the pitch deck it sent to investors, the company said it built software to accelerate how it could design and develop spaces. You mentioned that WeWork does a lot of tech as well. A lot of people might be surprised to know that we have more engineers in WeWork than contractors, architects, and designers. For the Internet of Things and anybody who wants to create connected space, our members will be able to work with it and build into it and hack space, which we think is very exciting. Its bread and butter was the real estate business, but it was making itself look like a fast-growing tech company. Mammoth growth predictions, disrupting a stodgy industry, targeting millennials. Plenty of investors had money to spend. They didn't want to miss out on what was being touted as the next Uber. It was a manifestation of a unique point in time where disruptive or interesting ideas with a charismatic leader were attracting such insanely cheap capital that they could do insanely irrational things. Adam was living the dream, hanging with Ashton Kutcher, flying on private jets. Life was very different if you were an average WeWork employee. They have the coolest wallpaper. The first time Tara Zoomer set foot in a WeWork in the Bay Area, she knew right away it wasn't your average work situation. Lots of motivational like sayings and posters like, hustle harder, thank God it's a Monday. Those slogans were kind of repeated throughout. When Tara started at WeWork in spring 2015, she was used to working in your typical office cube farms, beige and blue with fluorescent lighting. WeWork had foosball tables, meditation rooms. It's kind of like walking by like an open Santa's workshop, only everybody has a different kind of workshop. Tara's official title was associate community manager. I had never had a title like that before. So to be perfectly honest, I wasn't too sure what it meant except basically what the title sounds like. My job would be part of building community. Tara was making $42,000 a year, a pretty significant pay cut from her last job, but it was a foot in the door at one of the hottest startups in the world. We now have like fabled tales of what it's like to be an early early employee at Facebook or Google or any of these others. And we were really had a similar air about it. And I remember just feeling like I was in the right place at the right time. Tara's job was to keep WeWork's hundreds of tenants at this location happy. She fluffed the couch pillows, ordered office supplies, gave tours to prospective tenants. She even learned how to change a keg. I went to one event that was like, I think it was called like Retox Detox. And it was like a yoga drinking event, <laughs> which was fun. It's like you do yoga and then you get to drink Moscow mules after. These events meant plenty of late nights for Tara, followed by early mornings back at the office. And then to have to wake up and, you know, you're only on a Wednesday and you got to do this two more times, that is taxing. At first, she didn't mind the grind. I felt really ambitious at the beginning. Like, you know, I'll crush it. I'll get a raise. This will be workable. And then as you're working and you're working harder than you've ever worked in your life and the stress is starting to get to you, pretty quickly I started asking questions about 
you know, well, how are we going to rotate? And then if, you know, employees get sick or something happens, like, how are we, how are we going to keep up with this and how are we going to make this sustainable? She says there were many weeks she was working 70 hours or more on that $42,000 a year salary. When you actually break down the hourly rate, it dips down quite a bit. And sometimes I think it would dip me close to minimum wage or less. I'm really almost like going broke working. There was just a day that my bank account had been overdrafted and I had to write my coworker and I said, hey, can you send me some money really quick so I can come into the office and get there? And luckily my coworker is really awesome and she helped me out. But that's a really sobering moment to have when you're working that many hours to realize you're not covering your expenses. WeWork's slogan was do what you love, but Tara and other employees were starting to question what the company actually stood for. And deep down, Adam seemed to know he had a problem, too. Remember Lisa Sky Hain? She was WeWork's second-ever employee. She'd been there in those early days, back when she, Adam, and Miguel were personally putting together IKEA furniture and posting ads for tenants on Craigslist. But she'd ultimately left the company just 14 months after it was founded. Well, now it was nearly four years later, January 2015, and Lisa was living in Oregon. She'd just gotten married, when out of the blue... Hi, are you back from honeymoon? It was a text from Adam. I said, yes, I'll be in New York next week. He said, great, let's meet. Lisa hadn't been in touch with Adam much lately. They'd parted on generally good terms back in 2011. But there was this one moment when Adam sat Lisa down in a conference room. I remember Adam leading the conversation as he was really the leader of the ship. And he said, so you're the only one that hasn't signed the employment contract of our 25 employees. And I said, yes, I know. It was a difficult conversation. I feel like I remember my hands sweating. (laughs) You know, and as a 40-something-year-old now, my hands don't sweat very often anymore, except when I'm experiencing turbulence on airplanes, you know. (laughs) The new employee contract they wanted Lisa to sign included an 18-month non-compete clause if she were to leave the company. And so I remember feeling nervous, but also clear that I wasn't willing to sign the agreement with the non-compete. And Adam, you know, said I, I had to and that they were not willing to budge on the 18 months. Lisa had dreams of starting her own community building company, so she refused. And soon after, she left. Now, here she was four years later at WeWork's new expanded downtown headquarters. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny blue sky New York City day. And I remember going up to their high floor into this massive vaulted ceiling, bright, bright communal space. And then up this big staircase at the top was this massive office that was you know, I don't know, probably like 30 by 20 feet or something like that and overlooked Broadway. When Lisa walked in, Adam was in his giant office with wife Rebecca. Then I remember sort of overhearing them talk about how they were going to get to Miami and on which private jet or, you know, what private plane. And I thought, wow, how things have, you know, changed. $12 billion valuation, I guess, will allow you to take private planes everywhere. Rebecca left the room. And Lisa and Adam caught up. And he said, hi. And he said, so we've had some success since you left. And I said, yes, congratulations. You know, it's remarkable what you've created since I left. Really, truly, congratulations. 
Adam was keeping an eye on his computer screen. On it was a ticker showing every new member. Like Facebook, you know, tracking when they had their, in the movie, right, with their millionth member, and then they could, you know, celebrate. So it was kind of felt similar to that. Lisa still had no idea why Adam was reaching out to her after all this time. Finally, she cut through the small talk. Okay, so why am I here? And he said, well, we've had some success, but I feel like something is missing. And I said, okay, tell me more. And he said, I feel like this feeling of connection and community is missing. The people who work here don't know the names of the people who are here, what their companies do, what their company name is, and how they could connect them and bring them together. And the people who have offices here don't know how they can take advantage of the amenities or perks we're offering. What Adam wanted was for Lisa to come back into the fold to help recreate the feeling of community she had fostered in WeWork's first two buildings. WeWork had grown to 10,000 members, locations around the world, but the spirit of we hadn't grown with it. Lisa was surprised by Adam's offer, to say the least. I basically said, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you. WeWork had come a long way since she left the company, but she thought to herself, if even Adam is acknowledging that with all their resources, something fundamental is missing, how could she possibly help? I had a big voice of intuition in my head that said, if he thinks you can create something that's missing in his $12 billion company, it's time for you to finally launch your own company. Lisa turned down the job. If Adam was having issues with a culture inside his own company, he'd have to figure it out without her. Hiring is challenging. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, and where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com crashed. Cafe Altura's COO Dylan Miskowitz experienced just how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then he switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can, too, by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com crashed. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying. He found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Come see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash crashed. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-R-A-S-H-E-D. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey guys, I'm Nikki Boyer, host of The Daily Smile. Jasmine Williams found her destiny at just 14 years old. I just remember it sounded so cool, so dope. It was like rap and MC and monologue and fillings and everything. And that was my first introduction. I said, I want to do that. Now she's sharing her passion and her art with people all over the world. Listen to Coming Full Circle at the Poetry Lounge on the Daily Smile on Wondery Plus, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank God it's Monday. That was the name of WeWork's weekly all-hands meeting. It took place at WeWork headquarters every Monday at 7 p.m. It's a bunch of crotchety people out way past their bedtime talking about business, which they probably can't do because they've been working too many hours and shouldn't be anyway. 
Joanna Strange's first Thank God It's Monday meeting was in June 2015. Usually, Adam was the one to kick things off. Shortly after he got up there, he would yell, we, and everybody else would yell, work. So they would go, we, work, we, work. And I was like, I haven't done this since I was a kid at summer camp. The company she worked for had just been acquired by WeWork. And this was the first time she'd seen the rah-rah spirit of we in action. I'm always suspicious of people who are charming because my dad liked to remind me that Ted Bundy was charming. At one point, one of Joanna's colleagues turned to her and said, Oh my fucking God, this is a cult. Who does this? Do all the people at Deloitte go, Deloitte, Deloitte, right? Or Goldman, Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. It's weird. It's just so weird. It felt a little cultish, felt a lot cultish, actually. But it felt cultish and it felt slightly alien. Like we were, those of us who were coming in, we weren't yet pod people. What we didn't realize is that everybody around us was a pod person and they had died and they had been replaced by an alien and we hadn't yet done that, but that was inevitable to happen to us. It felt like freaking invasion of the body snatchers. Then, after Adam finished hyping up the team, they'd celebrated their successes. I just remember actually saying that to my husband repeatedly. Like, there was gong hitting. And he was like, okay, why? And I was like, I don't know. It didn't make any sense to me. They just hit the gong. It was for somebody doing something. Why is there a gong anyway? Why do you have a gong? These meetings were all part of Adam's goal of changing the way people thought about work. Sure, that meant employees had to stay late, but the meetings included fun team-building exercises. It wasn't supposed to feel like work. But Joanna wasn't so sure... I would say it was a means of control. You can't make sure they're working late every night. But if you have a meeting at 7 and you have dinner at 8.30, you basically trap them. But 7 to 8.30 p.m. was often just the start of the work evening. Adam would then do an executive meeting that sometimes wouldn't start until 11 and would end at like 3 a.m. I remember once hearing someone say that... Miguel and Adam both got really annoyed when they were at the office once at nine o'clock and they didn't feel like enough people were there. Instead of productivity being measured by like regular KPIs, for the two of them, productivity was measured by asses and seats at all hours of the day, which is, does not tell you how successful your company is. Tara Zumer, the community manager at the Bay Area we work, was tired of the long hours and low pay. She started looking into what rights she had as an employee about worker benefits, whether she was entitled to overtime pay. She even hosted a meeting with her co-workers and an attorney to talk about their options. Her managers took notice. I got, you know, kind of cornered by my manager at that point after I had invited people. It was a couple weeks after, and she asked me if I wanted to resign. She told me that my talks about, you know, our work hours was disruptive to the work environment and that... I should just keep it to myself. She said, you should just let everyone discover it on their own. Their path is their path. But Tara knew she wasn't alone in feeling underpaid. She hired a lawyer, thought maybe she could get other employees to join her cause. A few weeks later, every single WeWork employee in the United States received an email from headquarters. And the notification said... You know, we're going to have new employee paperwork for everyone to sign. We are trying to get the company on the same page as we gear up for this next step. And we really need to do this quickly. So each office, I think, only had that team of people staying for maybe 24 hours or 48 hours. It was was a quick, we're coming to collect signatures meeting. The day to sign was a Friday. 
Tara watched as her co-workers were called into a glass conference room, one by one. At the end of the table is one chair, a pen, and the stack of papers, and then all of your managers and HR people sitting on one side. And then it was Tara's turn to go into the conference room. I got called up by someone and went into the room and sat at the end of the table and started hearing the spiel about how this is all standard documents, we're getting everyone on the same page, this is your new employee handbook. The handbook ran more than 50 pages. But as I listened to them speak about the other documents, I really just was sitting there quietly. I didn't even have my hand on the pen. I I just was, because I know I can't read legal language that fast, nor am I going to read this when I'm in a room with my managers feeling the pressure to, to sign this. Like, it just didn't feel right to me. At the end of the explanation, Tara politely asked to take the weekend to review it. When she got home, she started reading. It says, I waive my right to a trial by jury. That includes for any claim I could have, whether that is a claim of racial discrimination, sexual harassment, like in my case, you know, a wage question that came up. I knew I couldn't sign this document. Tara wrote to HR and said she wouldn't sign. She also sent an email to every single employee at the company warning them to read the document carefully before signing. On Monday morning, she got to work early. Her email had been shut down. And my manager came in shortly after and, you know, read me a paper that said I was being terminated. And I was told to collect my things. And I said goodbye to my coworkers on the way out, and she escorted me out of the building. Six weeks later, Tara filed a lawsuit against WeWork alleging wrongful termination and unfair labor practices. WeWork declined to comment on the case, which has since been settled, but the National Labor Relations Board did file a formal complaint against WeWork that echoed a number of Tara's allegations. Tara's wasn't the only employee lawsuit filed against the company at the time. In fact, employees were getting fed up with the way the company was run at the top in ways both big and small. Early one morning at a WeWork space in Washington, D.C., an employee arrived at work. He walked into the game room, which included a pool table and a video game console. The employee noticed right away the room stank like stale pot smoke. Then he noticed empty, dirty cups all over the ground. He went straight to the security footage to see what had caused this mess. As he scrubbed through the footage from the night before, two long-haired figures came into frame. They were pouring shots of tequila, downing them, then pouring again. He advanced the footage further, and then he realized it was Adam Newman with WeWork's vice chairman, Michael Gross. There was the CEO of the whole company pouring tequila and slamming shots, playing the video game Time Crisis, firing away at the screen, smoking weed. And then, finally, the CEO and the company's vice chairman stumbling out of the office late at night, leaving their trash for someone else to clean up. All of this behind-the-scenes drama might have spelled trouble for Adam, but instead, he was about to meet someone who saw himself as a visionary just as much as Adam, who was even more colorful and would provide WeWork with even more rocket fuel for their seemingly upward trajectory. He said, Masa from SoftBank, when he met him, said, Adam, I like you. You're crazy. The only thing I wish were different about you is that you're not crazy enough. And, you know, he was telling me that anecdote in order to say, 
I'm not bluffing. This is exactly the kind of thing that I'm totally up for doing. You could argue that SoftBank was the worst thing to happen to WeWork because drunken sailor doesn't even begin to describe the carelessness and the recklessness regarding the approach to spending money. That's on the next episode of We Crashed. From Wondery, this is episode three of six of We Crashed, about what happens when idealism and greed run headlong into business reality. You can subscribe to We Crashed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to hear more great business stories, you can subscribe to another Wondery podcast I host called Business Wars, which takes you inside some of the greatest corporate rivalries of all time. And you can get access to both series ad-free on Wondery Plus at Wondery.com slash P-L-U-S. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. Another way to support us is by answering a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. I'm your host, David Brown. Natalie Robomed wrote this story. Heather Schrering reported this story. Sound designed by Jake Korski. Our consultants are Corey Weinberg for The Information and Scott Galloway. Additional reporting by Sarah Kessler. Our associate producer is Caleb Bissinger. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman, George Lavender, and Marsha Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez or Wondery. It's October, which means Wondery's True Crime Month is here. Celebrate by turning down the lights and turning up the volume on your favorite true crime podcasts, like Dr. Death. After years of chronic back pain, Philip Mayfield discovered spinal surgeon Dr. Christopher Dunch and his glowing reviews that promised to fix you. Those were words Philip desperately wanted to hear. But after his surgery, he woke up in excruciating pain and couldn't feel his legs. He thought to himself, what did he do to me? And while he didn't know it yet, he'd never walk again. And he was one of the lucky ones. Dr. Death is a true story about our healthcare system, a system we trust with our lives. But as you'll see, sometimes it isn't us that the system is built to protect. Listen to Dr. Death on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now.